This episode is brought to you by Element Kombucha. Kombucha is an incredibly delicious drink with a ton of amazing health benefits, primarily gut health. It's got those good bacterias. Yes, some bacterias are good. I've actually got a bottle of Element Kombucha in my hand. This one is called Summer Vibes. So let's take a sip. Oh, wow. Oh yeah, that's the first time trying this particular flavor and it is delicious. My other favorites are the Mountain Oolong as well as the Jasmine Hibiscus. Elements brewing process maintains the traditional methods and ingredients that people have been brewing kombucha with for thousands of years. Each flavor is brewed with strict parameters to bring out the benefits of the plants as well as the best flavors possible. And let me tell you, you can feel the difference. I highly recommend you give Element Kombucha a try. It's delicious, it's healthy, and it's just nice to have in your fridge for when you're thirsty. So go to elementkombucha.com and use promo code ZIAN11 to save 11%. That's ZIAN11 to save 11%. X-I-A-N-11 at elementkombucha.com. This episode is also brought to you by Sheath, the underwear of legends. What makes Sheath different is the pouch on the inside. Now this is a game-changing invention that completely revolutionizes the male undergarment. These are the most comfortable underwear I have ever worn by far. They've got amazing designs and styles, super comfortable fabrics. My favorite is the bamboo and also the V, which is a long leg athletic underwear that doesn't ride up and it supports you where it matters most. So go check out Sheath at sheathunderwear.com and use promo code TIMEWHEEL to save 20%. Once again, that's sheathunderwear.com, promo code TIMEWHEEL.
All right, we are rolling. Steven Jaggers, how are you today, man? Phenomenal, brother. Thank you so much for having me on. Yes, thanks for coming on. It's, it's been, um, I've been looking forward to this because I've been seeing a lot of your work uh, with breath work and trauma healing, and you just do this really amazing work um, with your company. Um, what's your company called again? So I basically, uh, I took lots of different modalities that I've studied throughout the years and kind of combined them together. Uh, to create a modality called somatic release breath work at this point. That's it. Um, and it's a combination of uh, different forms of breath work, and I can get into those. Um, NLP verbal cueing, um, so tailoring your language in a way that speaks to someone's subconscious mind and body. Um, and then also some hands-on techniques, uh, trauma release techniques, techniques. Uh, uh, I, I've been a body worker for a very long time, mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of my specialty. So lots of different um, hands-on uh, touch and trauma release techniques. Um, right, right. Yeah. Yes, yeah, very impressive work. This is really deep work, some of the, the deepest work I feel like a human could be called to do. And that mm -hmm. leads me to ask, how did this path begin for you? Like, what was your spiritual awakening? What led you up to realizing like this is the type of work that you want that you're interested in and you want to bring to the world because it's it's a very niche thing and and it's very specialized and i'm just curious how someone like yourself gets on this spiritual path and and what happened and what type of experiences were they that unfolded for you that kind of sold you on this as like hey this is really what i'm being called to do yeah, man, it's a great question. And uh, I don't want to be cliche, but I feel like everything that I've gone through since birth has led me up to this point. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I can give you a little bit of background. I am, a, I'm an only child. Uh, both my parents were severe drug addicts uh, from before I was born to while they had me. Um, you know, they were addicted to meth and, and other different hard street drugs. Mm. And, uh, you know, when I was, I think, four or five, they wanted to start a new life, and they moved to Arizona and uh, got clean off of these hard street drugs, but quickly switched to prescription medications and uh, kind of got caught up in the um, mental health field and, and the, um, <laughs> the, the, the current health paradigms of what we're experiencing right now. And, and uh, from a young age, I was just always a very sensitive child. I, I, I knew that something was wrong. Mm -hmm. I knew that something was off. And uh, I just, I watched them suffer for so long as a, as a child. And, uh, you know, I was always a very independent uh, only child. And, and um, I loved sports. I loved, I loved being in my body. I was always outside playing. I, I was a, a mm -hmm. skateboarder for a long time. I used to skate Same. in like competitions and stuff. Awesome. Um, so that kind of opened me up to like uh, just alternative way lifestyle and stuff like that. And uh, you know, I outside of high school, I was so fascinated like what made people tick. Uh, so mm -hmm. I wanted to study addiction psychology specifically and also wanted to study physical therapy because I was infatuated with the body. Mm 
Um, and I quickly learned that, you know, I loved spending so much time doing sports and playing outside because it allowed me not to think about what was going on at home. You know, sure. I spent so much time in my body and, and when you're in your body, you're not thinking about the future, you're not thinking about the past, you're not thinking about anything else. You're kind of in that, in that present moment. So it was, it was sort of like an escape for me. Um, but I went to traditional school, uh, for, uh, psychology and then also physical therapy. I, I was studying both and I, I was like, maybe I'll figure out which route I want to go down. And I right. ended up dropping out of both of them cause I couldn't pay attention to traditional schooling. Right. Right. Same and, here. uh, and so I was like, you know, and then I ended up working in, in uh, corporate America for like a year and a half as a human resources executive. And I quickly mm -hmm. found out that uh, corporate lifestyle was not for me. Um, during that time when I was working that corporate job, I started having um, incredible lucid dreams. And I didn't really know what this phenomenon was. And I started studying or I started researching it and it kind of led me down a rabbit hole that yeah. was studying altered states of consciousness and astral projection and all, right, right. you know, that whole rabbit hole. Yeah. And, uh, it was, it really just blew my mind and I couldn't get enough of that information. So I started kind of studying that. And during that time, I, uh, I had found out that I had uh, scoliosis in my own spine. Um, oh, wow. kind Me of too. That's in my, uh, so in many my parallels. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> There's so no, many parallels no, no with worries. our story. I'm kind of getting my mind blown, <laughs> but okay, go ahead. Yeah. So, um, I had some scoliosis in my like thoracic spine, kind of in my solar plexus area. And I, that was kind of a shock to me to, to hear that there was actually something physically wrong with my body. Mm -hmm. And so I like went on this healing journey of, um, trying to figure out what was wrong. And I got lots of different types of body work. And that was kind of the thing that helped me the most. So I was like, fuck, I'll go back to school and become a body worker. I can work with people's right. bodies. And, and, um, you know, there was something, uh, uh spiritual about it as well healing on, on, on a, on a deeper level. So I went back to school for, uh, body work. I studied a lot of, uh, Western styles of body work, you know, injury rehab, neuro, I, I'm a neuromuscular therapist and, uh, also studied and went down sort of the energetic body route, uh, body work route as well. Studying kind of, uh, uh, somatic forms of body work and how, how the body stores emotions and, um, right. Yeah. So I kind of, fell in love with body work and I became a body worker for a long time. I was teaching at sort of a holistic school here in, in Phoenix. And, and during that time I started to experiment with a couple different, uh, plant medicines or psychedelics, if you will, entheogens. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was fascinated, uh, because of the amount of just awakening I had in my own vessel right. And that so you that did all of this body work education before ever really getting a true psychedelic experience. Is that what you're saying? Um, I think I had done some mushrooms here and there and I was, uh, I was a early cannabis user, okay. um, in high school and, and I wasn't, I wasn't against it, but I started, you know, after the lucid dreams, I started utilizing psychedelics in a different way. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, still recreational, but going out into nature, uh, with myself or a couple friends and having some, some really deep conversation and, and just life awakenings. And so yeah. that led me to kind of hearing about maps 
And uh, I thought for a little while I wanted to go back to school to become a psychedelic psychologist. Um, mm -hmm. And I ended up working the 2017 MAPS conference. Yes. Uh, yes. Psychedelic Science there. Conference. And you were there, and I'm pretty sure I met you. But yes. I'm, I, I feel like we met. <laughs> yeah. You might have got a sticker because we were handing out a bunch of Time Wheel stickers. And yeah. yeah. That was a great conference. A lot of fun. That was phenomenal, man. That, um, that opened me up, but we, we were, I worked the, uh, kind of the healing, uh, center at the, uh, psychedelic science conference with some naturopathic doctors and some other mm -hmm. incredible humans. Um, and you know, I had some friends say that, Hey, you need to go to this, uh, workshop by a man named Stan Groff, mm -hmm. uh, holotropic breathwork workshop. And, and yeah, I was love like, Stan. and, uh, I was like, okay, I'll ch check out this breathwork thing. And uh, it, it ended up just blowing my mind, um, mm -hmm. and the amount of release that I had physically, uh, somatically was just um, probably more intense than any psychedelic journey that I had ever I had oh, ever wow. been on, um, as far as the physical release. Right. So during that session, I had some pretty pure insights that was like. I had always been a sort of breath worker while mm -hmm. I was a body worker. Mm -hmm. um, I had studied breath from a, from a uh, physiological uh, standpoint and, and sort of an anatomical standpoint. And, and I had known that I had always used the breath or people's breathing sort of as a diagnostic tool to see what state people's nervous systems are in. Mm -hmm. um, and especially when I'm working on them uh, in, a, in a sort of trauma-informed way, um, people's breathing will tell you a lot of what state they are in and, and whether or not I can take them further. Um, because anything that I'm doing, if if someone's holding their breath, it's it's counterproductive in a way. Yeah. So I would always have to work with that breath and that breath was sort of the driving force, which allowed me to kind of um, take people deeper or, or, or if I needed to kind of slow down a little bit. So right. I was fascinated and I wanted to study different forms of breath work. And, um, you know, I started studying lots of different breath work and I was still doing lots of body work. And I started kind of combining a lot of these different modalities. I had studied lots of different modalities, life mm -hmm. coaching, hypnotherapy, um, uh, polarity therapy, cranial sacral therapy. Wow. A, so a lot, with the breathwork techniques, was it, was it the, uh, holotropic breathing you tried even before basic pranayama? I had done a couple, um, I had done a couple basic yoga classes and then also Kundalini yoga. Um, mm -hmm. there was something about that, that just, I, I just didn't really resonate with as much as sort of the holotropic style. Okay. And just maybe it was Stan Groff who just his presence, just, um, the way that he holds a container, uh, yeah. was very, very potent and powerful and also non-judgmental and, um, just sort of non-dogmatic in mm -hmm. a way, which really allowed me to just kind of go on my own journey with it. Um, it's it's a lot different. You know, holotropic breathwork is considered a breathwork journey, mm -hmm. um, which is different than sort of a Kundalini yoga class or, or right. a basic pranayama. Um, totally. But that's a that's a deeper, longer um, altered state of consciousness sort of experience. Right, right, right. Interesting. Yeah, because I, I got trained in Kundalini Yoga as well. And um, I found a lot of those breath techniques interesting. 
uh, hypnotic and, and mildly, you know, psychedelic and, and meditative. But I eventually got introduced to holotropic breathwork and the Wim Hof breathing technique, and uh, which I got certified to teach online, um, and found a lot deeper states of consciousness with those much larger breaths that you bring into the body at a much higher rate for longer duration than kind of the kundalini yoga route which i think is more of like a balancing route and kind of an introductory like anyone can do this type of breath work um that's not too demanding but it's still pushing you a little bit to like get out of your comfort zone um so with when it comes to these bigger breath work experiences what are the effects and, and how do they compare to psychedelics and, and the psychedelic yeah, effect for you? This is a great question. And I think it's something that a lot of people don't really understand. Um, first off, uh, breathing in general, how you should be breathing during your day-to-day waking state is, is we should be breathing through our nose um, and we should be breathing very slowly and deeply into our diaphragm. And that's sort of the basis for our, our daily breathing. And that sort of keeps us in a regulated state. It keeps us in a state on a physiological level that tells us that we are safe um, so that, that we're not in a sort of contracted fear state where we're making instinctual decisions that are based off of fear. That being said, mm-hmm. these longer breathwork journeys um, – you are breathe a lot of the times they do it through the mouth and uh you are taking in a ton of oxygen so you are uh you are basically hyperventilating the system and what mm-hmm. that does is that that's that ramps up oxygen and when you are ramping up oxygen you are decreasing co2 so mm-hmm you need a certain ratio of CO2 to oxygen to actually be able to absorb the oxygen. So when you are ramping up oxygen, you are actually um, decreasing the amount of oxygen that you are absorbing. So Mm -hmm. what happens is you're actually kind of starving the body oxygen. And when you're hyperventilating, you are sending your system into a physiological state that is recognizing that you're in a, in a trauma state. Mm-hmm. So your body thinks that it's going through a traumatic state and it, and it also can be sort of like a, um, a NDE or a near death experience. You're mm-hmm. in a safe container, obviously, you know, you're in a safe container, but you're in a controlled environment where you are taking your physiology into a state of trauma, right, which right. if people aren't, if people aren't understanding of that, because a lot of people will say, "Oh, you're hyperoxygenating the system, and it's you're alkali- you're you know you're alkalizing the system," and and those might be true to a certain extent. Um, you're also taking your body into a trauma state, but mm-hmm. this allows you to discharge a lot of the sort of nervous system defense systems that we have been holding throughout our life mm-hmm. um, in that state of trauma. You're, you're not able right. to really like discharge somatic and, and, uh, and, and nervous system defense systems in your waking state. You kind of right. have to take yourself back into that state, which allows you to discharge or complete the necessary action that your organism needed to do in the moment. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? 
It does. It makes a lot of sense. And I've definitely, you know, heard a lot about this and am very researched on it. But for the people that don't understand it, it's essentially at the moment when a trauma occurs and you lock up or freeze up or fail to take a necessary action to defend yourself, your body kind of stores this pent up energy that until it is released and expressed and that movement is completed, it's stuck in your body. Is that right? Exactly. So the big thing that we need to understand, and I think that this is a, um, a sort of paradigm that we're experiencing across the board, is that we are completely detached to biology itself. We're completely detached to the natural world. We're completely detached to being connected to our own body and understanding the intelligence that's moving through our body on a cellular level. Like there is more intelligence in one of your cells than your rational mind could ever even fathom. Totally. I mean, your, your system is digesting your food, you're beating your heart, you're secreting all different types of hormones and glandular production and all, all this stuff that's happening with, without right. your mind having to think about it. Right. So we become such a mentally dominant culture. And we, over thousands of years of sort of evolution, have developed certain... Um, animalistic or natural processes of how we deal with stress and we've been disconnected to that mm. so we are animals first and i give the example if someone were to break into your house right now you know you would have you you would first first thing that would happen is you would have an instinctual response so yeah. you would either want to fight this person you would probably or you would freeze or you would want to run from this person and that's not happening in your mind the second thing that would happen is that you would feel some sort of emotion. You would feel scared. You would feel um, powerful. You would feel courageous, whatever it is. And that's still not happening in your mind. So that instinctual response and that emotional response happens first. Only lastly, after that whole thing went down, is you would start to kind of create a perception or you would start to create the story in your head that replays. And maybe that story that replays is that I'm not safe in my house anymore, or I'm not safe in the world anymore. And that story is going to protect you, but that story is based on what happened on an instinctual and an emotional level. So, mm -hmm. we have to understand that when something stressful or traumatic happens to us, it's first affecting us on an instinctual level and an emotional level. So, we have to address it on that level first before we can really start to like work with the story. So there's a lot of people out there that are walking around still wounded on an instinctual level and an emotional level. And a big thing that we need to understand is that trauma and stress are subjective, meaning that what's traumatic to me might not be traumatic to you. And and so it's it's different across the board, but it's what's happening inside of you based on the thing that's happening to you. And all of us have different sort of capacities and what we can handle and our strengths and weaknesses. And, you know, that's nature and nurture, you know, it's, it's your, your, um, your ancestry, your genetics, and also your experiences that have led you up into this point. Um, but we all have different sort of capacities and what we, um, how we deal with stress and how we deal with trauma. Um, right. but, but those gets those instinctual defense systems, that fight or that flight or that freeze response, and also the emotional response that we that we have, those kind of can stay active 
if we if we did not kind of have a space to discharge or express them and most of us in our culture you know we have become sort of these like strong adults that think we can just like we can just hold it together for the family or we can hold it together for our society or our culture but um we can't bypass that we are still fucking animals and uh and and animals need certain processes to be able to discharge uh on an instinctual level and an emotional level and if we did not discharge then um that sign of discharging and and when i'm saying discharging it's a somatic release if you will and that could look like yelling it could look like crying it could look like screaming it could look like shaking your body it could look like laughing all of those things are movements of energy through your system and those movements of energy through your system send a signal to your organism that hey I've released this sort of defense system and I'm not in the presence of a stressor anymore. So if we have not had those sort of discharges, then our being, our organism, our animal is still walking around in the world as if we are in the presence of a stressor. And so we're still making decisions. Our decisions are sort of made for us off that, from that wounded instinctual and emotional animal. We're not able right. to make more conscious decisions because um, those defense systems are kind of embedded on a subconscious level and they are making decisions for us. And some people call those our triggers or our reactivity or our reactions. Um, I'm going down a rabbit hole. You can you No, can I love it. <laughs> I love it. No, it makes a lot of sense. Um, but one thing I did want to say is, tying it into chronic pain in the body because a lot of people have chronic pain. They have a certain area that flares up. It could be their back, their shoulder, their upper back, their neck, you know, um, so many places it could be a foot cramp, whatever. So many people want to attribute that to a physical thing that they did at a time. It's like, oh, I stretched it too far. I overstretched my muscle or I used to run up the hill and every day. So now my knees are bad and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, maybe that's true. That's, that's very likely mm-hmm. uh, playing some role. But I also think that what's playing a major role that almost no one wants to look at is emotional trauma stored in the body. So I wanted to kind of open that floor up a little bit for you to speak on about like how, how d- does emotion get trapped in your muscle in your fascia whatever it is and why does it do that and how can we release it and get it out yeah so that is such a complex question because um it's not just there's there's never just one variable you know and i think that a lot of people look at the system saying like okay the energetic sort of affects the physical and or the physical affects the energetic and um it goes both ways so there is a sort of biomechanical understanding that you could be you know you could be wearing like really tight shoes all the time and those could be fucking up your feet and Mm -hmm. there could be but but maybe that actually creates sort of pain for you um in your feet that can um create sort of emotional discomfort or you could be emotionally traumatized. You know, you could have 
or unprocessed or undigested emotions that could keep your state or your keep your body in sort of a contracted state that over time that contracted sort of nervous system state starts to sort of just um, become your normal waking everyday state and then you start to experience pain but rarely where the rarely ever where the pain is at in your body is where the actual issue is at mm -hmm. the pain is sort of the exhaust or the um, sort of pressure valve if you will the pain is always sort of you know Paul Check says it's the pain teacher um, but it's sort of your 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 symptoms and symptoms are our greatest friend because those are kind of telling us that something is going on in the system that we need to change our patterns so mm -hmm. specifically like when there's um, undigested uh, emotions most of us in our world we're walking around so emotionally obese and experientially obese because we have had little time and little space to be able to digest our experiences mm -hmm. just like our food you know if you take in so much food you actually have to give yourself time to digest it um in our culture uh we <laughs> if i were to look at people walking around and and sort of had a vision to be able to see them they would look very emotionally and, and experientially obese mm -hmm. um and what that does sorry if i'm kind of circling around your question here um so as far as how like emotions store themselves in the body mm -hmm. i worked on people's physical bodies for so long i would help people align their physical bodies and i was obsessed with posture and understand and, and helping people kind of align their posture and mm -hmm. i would continue to you know figure out muscular imbalances and um you know help people release certain muscles and help strengthen other muscles and i would work with work with people over and over and over again and, and they would still come back to me in the same sort of with the same issues over and mm -hmm. over again and if we look at what is actually controlling the muscular system is the nervous system the nervous yeah. system is your electrical system of your body. It's also known as your chakra system, if you will. It's You have different nerve bundles or nerve plexi at, at those uh, seven centers that right. control the glandular, the musculoskeletal function on each of those different lines. Mm -hmm. So if we, um, if we have, if we are stuck on an animal level in a contracted state, then that contracted state over time so that contracted state helps us in the beginning that's the thing is that everything that the body does is is very intelligent mm -hmm. so that contracted state in the beginning it protects us in the moment but years and years or months and, and, and months of of being in that contracted state starts to create chronic yeah. nervous system defenses and those chronic nervous system defenses start to create chronic contractions of different musculatures in your body that start to uh, create a chronic sort of um, postural imbalance over time right. and so it helps us in the beginning but over time it becomes a thing that blocks us mm -hmm. and we are not designed for chronic stressors 
in our life. Our, our biology is designed for um, a little bit of stress here, a little bit of stress there, but we're not designed to be uh, in communication with people 24-7 all the time, you know, answering right. emails and all of these little chronic pressures. Yes. And so, um, kind of rambling here, but uh, when you have chronic nervous system defenses that are activated for a long time, you start to become numb because the body wants to protect you from feeling that. Mm -hmm. But feeling our somatic sensation, our ability to feel is how we were born in this world. Mm -hmm. It's our default setting. Your birthright is to be able to feel and sense like we are full spectrum beings. And that's what we are here to do is feel the full spectrum of emotions. Right. And when we have chronic stressors or chronic traumas that create chronic instinctual and emotional defense systems, um, those things start to drain our energy. Mm -hmm. So numbness is actually an active process. It takes energy from our system to maintain ourselves to be numb. And we can look at this sort of on a body work level, we call it parasitic tension. So okay. if you are stuck in that sort of um, closed off contracted body posture, maybe because of undigested emotions, um, you know, your body will start to tighten certain muscles over time, because it wants to protect you. It wants to make sure it wants to maintain homeostasis and balance throughout your system. So it will start to, and a lot of people start to develop tension, like in their neck and shoulders, if you will. Yeah. And that tension is a, uh, is a, is an intelligent, um, sort of mechanism that keeps you, uh, in a, in a state of homeostasis, but over that takes energy to, Right. maintain that contraction it takes energy right. from your system to maintain that sort of contraction so that energy that your body is using to keep you in that sort of contracted state that is energy that you could be utilizing towards other things right towards your mental capacity so long story short your your um your numbness that protective mechanism that stays active that's chronic for a long time drains your energy like a parasite and it takes away energy for you, for from you to be able to actually put that energy towards showing up in the world, how you right. want to showing up for your family, showing up for your friends. Yes. Um, that makes so much sense. And I'm sure everyone listening now is like, okay, so maybe I, I have this, how do I address it? How do I, you know, is there a daily exercise? Is it just a big trauma release workshop they need to attend? Like, is it a psychedelic journey? You know, or I'm sure it's a combination of all these things and it's not just a one pill answer. But I am curious, you know, how do we get people on the track to healing these chronic neck, shoulder, body pains that are holding them back and sucking their energy from them so that they're not able to show up and do the things that they know they want to do in the world? Absolutely. You know, this is question I ask myself all the time and it always goes back to you know awareness is the first step in healing anything right mm -hmm. um, so you I'm weary to give people a sort of daily practice because 
a daily practice should be based on where you are at right now. And where you're at right now is never static. It's always changing. So a lot of these practices such as meditation, such as psychedelics, such as yoga, such as these are all self-inquiry practices, right? That's what Mm -hmm. they do is they create awareness around certain things. And so having self-inquiry practices or having sort of somatic awareness, what's actually going on in my body? What sort of state am I in? And that's where like people want me to give them sort of daily breathwork practices. But the biggest daily breathwork practice that you could do is actually just being aware of how you're breathing during your normal state, during your normal waking everyday state. Because if you have the awareness of how you are breathing, that will tell you what state you are in. And therefore, you can start to give yourself a prescription or whatever of, of I need to go do this. So right. breathing specifically is the only body rhythm that we do both consciously and unconsciously. Therefore, mm. like, like you're beating your heart right now. That's a body rhythm that is just happening and yeah. your breathing can affect that, but it's just going to happen. Breathing specifically is that you can either take a breath in right now Or you don't have to think about it. You're still going to be breathing. But the more that you can be awareness of actually, the more you can be aware of how you are actually breathing in throughout your day-to-day life, the more you are connected to what state you are in and the more awareness of you have around what state you are, you are spending lots of time in. So we live in a world that's sort of based on duality, if you will. Mm -hmm. And, a lot of the times people are either spending a lot of time in sort of this like hustle, sympathetic, go, go, go mode. Um, and, or, you know, some people are spending lots of time in just like lethargy and maybe it's depression. Maybe it's sort of, um, you know, not feeling motivated. And right. so you can, there's so many different types of breath work specifically out there. But if you sort of first have a self-inquiry practice of where you are at, then right. you can start to give yourself different exercises to do based based on mm-hmm. where to take yourself and how to balance yourself out. Right. Yeah, that makes me think about how breath work, you know, part of, for example, in the Kundalini Yoga tradition, why they teach you breath work is to get you thinking about your breath and let it become kind of a program that your mind can run, which is awareness to my breath right now. And then Mm -hmm. through your yoga practice, you know, maybe you do it weekly, maybe you do it daily, and they push you through this exercise of now you're going to focus on your breath for three to five minutes. When you leave, sometimes you're like, huh, I'm thinking about my breath. Like, huh, it kind of stuck with me a little bit. And then Later on, you'll notice again, hmm, yeah, I'm thinking about my breath right now. So, it's like the breath awareness is kind of what they're trying to, like, teach you, you know, like to, to program your subconscious to come check in on your breath every now and then instead of it just be this thing you don't even connect with, like, ever, right? Yeah, and I would say for, for people that aren't, you know, sort of connected to how their body is feeling and, and, and sort of their day-to-day breathing is that maybe you do do like a three to four month sort of daily practice of just doing some easy breath work every morning that will start to 
kind of uh, trickle into your day-to-day life mm-hmm. as well. You know, you start to, um, you know, you do that sort of rhythm or that uh, ritual or whatever that creates you know, rituals or, or, or daily habits that you do over time start to create rhythm in your life and that starts to create momentum and that momentum is already moving through your system right. and then you don't have to think about it as much. It's, it's sort of like a martial art, if you will. Right, um, right. But I mean, I, you see this sort of on a physical state as well. Like I used to work uh, in an injury rehab center next to a, uh, a yoga studio and mm-hmm. also next to a CrossFit studio. And I would see both of them sort of coming in and both of them sort of fucked up in their own ways. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Both of them sort of tearing things. And mm-hmm. I would see like from the CrossFit community, it's like they were coming in um, tearing things because they were like hyper stable and, and, and super strong in their bodies. And uh, even the sort of mindset that came with it, you know, uh, they have a very focal mindset where it's like, you know, we do the practice until first blood, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we bypass all pain. And then <laughs> the, the yoga community, it was a hot yoga um, uh, studio, they would yeah. come in and they would be tearing things because they were, you know, trying to overstretch and continuously creating hypermobility within their joints mm-hmm. over and over again. And, you know, the mindset around them is sort of like, I mean, most yogis are, are not so grounded, if you will. Uh, sure, sure. Sort of their, their, their they're thinking of it of, as a spiritual feat. They're like, if I stretch yeah. really far, I'm going to get all the spiritual benefits. So I'm going right? to go for it. And then your body's like, nope. <laughs> right. And so you kind of had these hypermobile people over here and these hyperstable people over here. And, and, and quite possibly they needed to switch sides and they needed mm-hmm. some medicine from the other side, right. To kind of bring them back into balance. Um, right. So it's really like self-inquiry practice, knowing where you're at and then being able to sort of prescribe yourself the other side, if you will, to sort of bring yourself back into, um, back into balance. But awareness is always the first step. And so you can turn anything into a yoga, if you will. Um, like even just working out, um, connecting your movement with your breath actually having um, awareness to the muscle or to the area of your body that you want to contract. I saw this a lot within body work is that, you know, when I was kind of a first a body worker, I would just kind of help people to release all these different muscles and all of these different, you know, places of tension in their body. But mm-hmm. why is the body creating tension there to begin with? Yeah. And because it does everything on an intelligent level, right? And so it's creating tension there because there isn't strength there or there isn't actually life force being ran through that area. There isn't nervous system activation that's being run through that area. Right. So getting people to actually turn on certain muscles um, would be the necessary thing that allowed them to release it. And Mm. I, you can see, you can kind of, see this metaphor in your day-to-day life like for myself i can always relax so much better after i've sort of pushed myself physically it's easier to go into a relaxed state if i've actually pushed myself 
physically. It's, it's easier to turn something off if I know how to turn it on, if I actually can um, right. run life force through that area of my body. Totally. Yeah, it's just, you know, the habit of being sedentary in today's lifestyle where it's work at home, social media, video games, Netflix, you know, people don't want to, or they forget, genuinely forget, you know, to keep, you know, their body in shape and go on a run and lift some heavy objects and stretch it out, you know, because we get all all the dopamine we need from all these other much easier things. Um, Whereas back in the day before all this technology, it was actually a fun thing to go work out. It was like a bro hang yeah. time. And, you know, now it's a little bit, uh, I'm, I'm sure a ton of people still have that intact, but a lot less people in these, in this mm-hmm. day and age do. But I did want to ask you something about breath work that was coming up because, um, as a breath work practitioner myself, I've kind of identified three different levels of, um, length and duration of certain breath work exercises. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get your, um, feedback on them. So like the first one is something like, let's say 15 to 30 seconds of bringing in lots of breath, just doing a small breath work exercise. Maybe you're at a red light and you're letting the, the, the time pass a little. So you're just going to, you know, take in 10, let's say 10 to 12 deep breaths. So this is like a 15 to 30 second, small mini breath work exercise. Yeah. Then there's two to five minutes and then there's five plus minutes i was curious what is your understanding of what's going on at these three different levels like what happens when you just take 15 deep breaths what happens if you do breath work for two to five minutes and what happens if you go five plus minutes in a breath work exercise yeah so i'm not exactly sure on a physiological level the difference but i can i can share my sort of experience with that is that you know, the 15 second or the, you know, my daily practice is like, I'll do 30 kind of intense breaths, maybe mm-hmm. in through the mouth um, of just kind of like charging my system up and mm-hmm. then I'll hold, I'll hold in the middle of that. And then I'll do yeah. 30 breaths of just elongating and slowing my breath through the nose. So mm-hmm. when I'm doing those first 30 breaths, I'm kind of amping up my system and kind of sending my system into a stress state. And then I'm, I'm showing my system how, when it's in that stress state, how to actually come back down to a relaxed state. So that's sort of like a mini just um, sort of um, firing and wiring those patterns, right? Of, of yeah. Most people, we get stuck in one of those states and we need to show our system how, if we do get stressed out, how to regulate our system back down. Right. So I can do that in sort of a minute, if you will. Yep. The um, sort of five-minute uh, breath work, sometimes I'll elongate that. I'll do like three to four minutes of like, or, you know, two-ish, three minutes of sort of heavy breathing, sort of Wim Hof style, if you will. Right, right. And then I'll do a breath hold because during that breath hold, this is something that um, – people might find interesting is that when you are taking in a lot of oxygen, why you do a breath hold is that that starts to balance that ratio out between oxygen to carbon dioxide again. Uh-huh. And if you've ever experienced like they call it tetany or um, sort of uh, lobster claw hands, if you will, or, or yeah. if you start to get tingly or whatever, um, right. that starts to bring that back to a normal state. 
Mm -hmm. Um, So I'll do a breath hold in between. And during that breath hold, that's usually kind of when I'm really when I'm feeling very connected, I usually have like insights come through and and stuff like that. And then the second half is kind of when I will take long, slow, deep breaths through the nose and Mm -hmm. I will start to, this is kind of based off of Joe Dispenza's work a little bit too, is that when I'm relaxing my body and showing myself how to kind of come into a regulated state, I will breathe in how I want to feel throughout my day. And I'll start to create that elevated emotion and that sort of clear intention for my day. And Joe Dispenza has done plenty of um, research on this as firing and wiring sort of new patterns in your system, creating that elevated emotion within yourself has so many beneficial, um, so many, uh, uh, it does so many beneficial things for your system and starts to radiate that feeling from your nervous system. You could say your nervous system is the electrical bubble around you. A lot of people Mm -hmm. call it your aura, if you will. So when I start to fire and wire that sort of clear intention and that elevated emotion within my state, that starts to have a ripple effect on everyone that I'm coming into contact with. Right. Um, Anything over like five, 10 minutes, it starts to become a breath work journey. And that journey, I would, you can do a journey on your own, but I would highly recommend having someone else there with you for anything over like 20, 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, Because anytime you're breathing for, for that long, you can start to send your system into an actual state of trauma, into a physiological state of recognizing. And then when you have someone that is sort of holding space for you, which we can get into holding space and and what that actually means. It's important to define that. Um, But you have someone co-regulating nervous systems with you. um, That can be very, very powerful. I know uh, uh, Bessel van der Kolk who wrote body keeps the score Mm -hmm. um, says that healing happens in the presence of an empathetic witness. So so many times having a, a sort of just a witness there, um, is, is so powerful for my system because, you know, I think that we can do a lot of like self-help, but at the end of the day, we are communal beings and we actually need each other. A lot of our wounding happens in relationships with other humans. A lot of our healing happens in that sort of relationship with other humans. So having someone else yeah. there for a longer breathwork journey can be, can be very powerful. Absolutely. And one way I like to think of that as well is similar with psychedelic ceremony, intention is what's kind of programming the outcome a little bit. By, by saying things ahead of time, it keeps it locked in your subconscious a bit to use that as an anchor for the experiences to unfold. Similarly with um, breath work and there being a witness is it's two beings worth of intention, effectively doubling the intentional power of I'm here to heal, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's one way I like to think of that as well. Um, so when it comes to, I'm sure you've heard of this and I don't know if you believe it or not, but some people think that you can actually release endogenous dimethyltryptamine or DMT 
with breathwork. Um, what what are your thoughts on on this? So, like, what are your thoughts on psychedelic experiences unfolding from powerful, you know, churning of the breath? Yeah, I will say that I've um, I've done lots of research within a lot of the people that are doing like uh, the science behind it, and most of the sort of scientists are saying that it's not enough DMT to actually experience a trip. Um, I will say differently from my own experience and, and doing thousands and thousands of sessions is that like so many people have a sort of altered state experience or a, um, and I have, I have partaken in lots of DMT myself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, me too. and I have had very similar sort of, um, seeing the organizing principle or the, um, organizing uh, mathematic geometry of life within that sort of breathwork state. Right. Sometimes, the, I mean, breathwork journeys can be so different every session. Sometimes it's purely somatic for me. Sometimes it's purely of the body and mm-hmm. just releasing from the body. Sometimes I have incredible like visualizations and insights that are directly related to my life and where I'm not showing up and how I can show up differently. Um, So I would say that my experience, and I think that we are experiential beings, meaning that we, to truly understand something means that you stand underneath it and hold it up, meaning that Mm -hmm. you've been there and you've done it. Mm -hmm. So I, I kind of attribute um, uh, the, um, results, if you will, towards more understanding and and the embodiment and the experience of it. And I've absolutely experienced that. And I've seen thousands and thousands of people, um, experience altered state and psychedelic, uh, experiences from longer breathwork journeys. Right. Right. hundred percent. I mean, I remember how I discovered firsthand that breath could alter the consciousness is it was a open eye visual that resembled very much so the psilocybin open eye visuals of mm. kind of warping uh, maelstrom kind of landscape type vibe. Yeah, like it's yeah. almost like that. Like like the the ground before me almost started to turn like yeah. in a cyclone or like in a whirlpool, and it was only from breath. The- you can see kind of the animating force that's like breathing yes. life, if you will. hundred percent. And and that was just from breath. And I had had psychedelic experiences what before, which is what piqued my interest to want to learn how to do this without psychedelics, because I, I understood that, you know, and, and this is like almost widely said now, like the psychedelic isn't doing that effect. You're doing the effect. The psychedelic is just, showing you a different part of you in a sense it's still you manifesting that visual so when i understood that i was like huh i could probably do this without the psychedelics but how and that it was my um rabbit hole dive deep dive into all things spirituality all things yoga breath work etc to learn how to uh hold my consciousness on, on these uh higher pillars for minutes or you know a couple minutes at a time um without the aid of psychedelics and 
that is what came to me. So I don't, I don't know that it's DMT in my brain doing the effect, but certainly something is when you shake up your system enough. And one thing I wanted to say is sometimes in our sober state, we're not sensitive enough to really feel mm -hmm. the massive changes that simply even 10 or 15 breaths can offer. But if you're in a psychedelic state already, for example, say you took two grams of mushrooms or one tab of LSD, and you do just a little bit of breath work, it can dramatically increase the effects of that chemical. Oh, yeah. Um, and in my mind, what it's doing is showing me what it always does. We're just not aware enough to perceive that dramatic difference in the state of consciousness that is being offered. You know, we're not we're sensitive kinda, enough. Right. We're not we're sensitive not enough. So this drives up our sensitivity to the point that we can now see the tangible effects and feel the way that the blood's rushing through our body a little more calmly and and it brings us more to a centered Zen state of mind and these types of things. Well, what are your thoughts on all oh, that? There's so much there. And that's amazing. That's, I, I love it. Um, awareness to your breath, just having awareness to your breath is awareness to your body. If you were to take 15 deep breaths in right now, you would probably feel how much stress and tension that you're actually holding on to. Mm -hmm. So when we're operating in our normal waking everyday state, we're not sensitive unless right. we are kind of attuned to that. And that's why I'm yeah. such a proponent of awareness to your breath because awareness to your breath is awareness to your nervous system state, which is awareness to your physical body and how you're actually feeling. Um, we have become so numb as a culture and we have lost sensitivity. We, mm -hmm. we Because we've become such a mentally dominant culture and even you know, I like to break down words or just phrases. And even if we say, you know, something makes sense, we are thinking about that is like, okay, I can wrap my head around it. That makes sense to my rational mind, right? Mm -hmm. But if something actually makes sense to you, it makes sensation. It makes sensation <laughs> through your being. And right. that's, the, that's where, you know, kind of the saying like a full body yes comes into play. Like your full body yes is way more um intelligent than your just sort of mental rational yes so right. a lot of this work is cultivating sensitivity and uh even during you know um you could say like uh sexual intercourse if you will if you were to uh, attune your breathing with your partner mm -hmm. try that that will make mm -hmm. things a lot more sensitive um even during uh, breath works or even during psychedelic journeys, a lot of the times I will have to kind of go back to my breath and, uh, right. you can use that as a, as a, as a massive tool to kind of ease, um, and sort of difficult experiences that you're having. Um, oh yeah, hundred percent. It can shift it way down to a manageable level. If you're getting lost in the thought realm and going down a rabbit hole mm -hmm. of thought that you're not ready to see yet, um, yeah. or experience yet, you just, do 15, 30 breaths and you'll, you'll be like, Oh my God, I'm back here in the room with the music. Like, yeah. amazing. And, and <laughs> how, thank God. Thank, thank how, breath. <laughs> how cool, how cool is that, that we have these natural processes within our own being, these sort of toggle switches and buttons that we can actually control what state we're in. We don't yes. need anything else. Like we have the intelligence within our system to be able to, control our state or actually 
um, send us further into it or allow us to come out of it. And we were never given sort of an owner's manual to our vessel as a child. You know, I remember when I was teaching anatomy and kinesiology, I was like, why are we not taught this at a young age? 100%. Like we're not even taught about this own, our own body, the thing Mm -hmm. that the meat suit that we're inhabiting. Um, because we go to a doctor and we have them tell us what's going on. Right. It's like the matrix, you know, it's them not giving you the, you know, the, the option to take the pill, you know, they're just like, nope, you don't get to know about this. And, you know, maybe they're committing that willingly. Maybe it's just ignorance. Who knows? But either way, it's the same thing. But I have understood yoga as that owner's manual, you know, like the, the owner's manual of the body. And I don't think you have to attach to one specific yoga lineage or one specific guru, but just like experimenting with these tried and true techniques that are still here for thousands of years after their original uh, founding, they're here for a reason. Otherwise they would have been phased out and forgot about long ago, like Qigong, like yoga, like just general stretching and you know uh, what you do with the body work stuff. Um, and another thing, psychedelics, and I always bring this back to psychedelics because my show is a lot about psychedelics, but they, um, they showed me was the energy body. And I wanted to ask, what are your thoughts on the energy body um, and the sense of meridians, pressure points, maybe even reflexology? Uh, what are, what's your view on all of that? Is there any um, efficacy to this in your view? Yeah, I mean... The it's so going back on you speaking about yoga and how this kind of ancient technology of connecting the mind and body, you know, yoga mm-hmm. means to yoke, means to connect breath and movement or mind and body, and and it's to um, it's to reconnect our soma and our psyche, if you will, mm-hmm. yeah, and so many different cultures have had their different techniques on how to do this. And even like I said, if we look at it from a Western perspective, it's our nervous system, which is the electrical system of your body um, or our chakra system, which is look, it's the energy system of your body or the sort of, you know, like we are electrical beings and we have an electrical bubble around us. That is your aura. And that is communicating so much more than my words, like just mm-hmm. me spending time with my bubble. Uh, and, and, and if I was in person with you spending time in your bubble as well, like there's so much communication that's going on just on a nervous system level on an energy body level. Right. That's, that's happening way beyond our, uh, our sort of vocal communication, if you will. hundred um, percent. As far as reflexology goes, I mean, I've studied lots of different types of reflexology, and they're they're the study of these electrical lines, if you will. And these electrical lines are um, different circuitry of our body. I like to describe them as as the circuitry of the body, and mm-hmm. so. You know, we have different electrical circuits that uh, move up and or that are part of our nervous system that control glandular function. They control musculoskeletal function. They control so many functions on that electrical line. And that electrical line can be, you know, from your thumb all the way to like your back molar. 
Right. And so if there's a, uh, a, a short circuit somewhere in that electrical line, or there's too much, if there's um, instinctual and chronic defense systems that are somewhere in the body, it's going to affect the electricity on that circuit. And so you might have pain in a certain area of your body, but it could be the issue could be somewhere else on that meridian or that electrical yeah. line, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. So many people I'm sure have no idea about that. And in fact, you know, you go into masseuse parlors or whatever they're called, you know, massage places, and you'll see these like posters on the wall that are not in English, but it's like, that's interesting. You know, like you see all these points and, and what's weird with me is I've actually had the personal experience of trying out, um, two different methods of, you know, getting a massage. Like if I had a particularly like tight shoulder neck thing from, you know, whatever, maybe it's a long day of work, maybe it's stored trauma. Either way, I wanted some relief from that. And I went in and I said, uh, okay, so I wanted to do this, this massage, we'll call it massage A, where you actually target the area that hurts. Mm -hmm. And then I give it a week, come in and massage B, do reflexology on my feet and then see which one provides more relief. To my surprise, sometimes the reflexology on my feet actually relieved the muscle tension to a point that it was more comfortable for me. Now, that's a shocking, you know, result to me because you'd think going straight to the source would be the thing, but actually maybe it's somewhere along that meridian line, like what you're saying, um, actually addressed it a little better. What does that bring up for you? Yeah, it brings up, you know, Ida Rolf, who uh, created Rolfing, uh, she said, you know, where it is, it ain't. Where the, <laughs> where the, where the pain's at, it's, it's, it's never, where the pain's at is never where the actual issue's at. Like I said, the pain mm-hmm. is sort of the exhaust point. It's the point in which your body is experiencing some sort of repeated pattern that you've been doing that's uh, uh, not in alignment with your being. And mm-hmm. then so you start to experience a symptom of pain or an exhaust point. Um, and a lot of the times that place of pain, it's the, the actual issue is somewhere on the opposing polarity. Mm-hmm. It's on the opposing side. So we have to kind of figure out like a lot of the times, or I can say this, your body is always striving for balance, right? It's always mm-hmm. striving for balance on an emotional level, on a spiritual level, on a physical level. And if I hurt my right hip, a lot of mm-hmm. the times it'll go to my left knee and then it'll mm-hmm. go to my right ankle. And so mm-hmm. your body's like an equilibrium machine. It will constantly right. strive for balance. But a lot of the times, um, if, I'm, if I'm experiencing pain on one side, a lot of the times I can find the point in which it's relation, the point in which it is relating to that can create balance and equilibrium and homeostasis within the body. And the hands and the feet are kind of the traditional reflex reflexology places. Also the ears, also the mouth. I mean, you have so many different, the whole body's a big reflexology chart if you will be because of those electrical lines are all running through your system but right. the sort of ends of your nervous system and the sort of outlets of those energy meridians are at your hands and your feet so mm-hmm. a lot of the times working on those those end points of the meridians can 
that's where energy is released, right? We are electrical yeah. beings and we need a sort of ground. I mean, most people are familiar with grounding. Um, mm -hmm. We call that like, you know, putting your bare feet on the, on the earth, if you will. But that's an electrical thing that happens. Mm -hmm. A lot of the times we get charged up with positive ions mm -hmm. and the earth is filled with negative ions. And so just like your um, electricity in your house, your little outlets have a grounding plug so that you don't blow a fuse. We actually right. need to ground out and sort of balance the ratio of positive to negative ions mm -hmm. as well. And we wear plastic shoes, right? And that, that uh, <laughs> disconnects us um, from that sort of electrical discharge that naturally would happen if we were connected to the earth. Right. Yes, that's very important. And it's funny how tangible of an effect it can have. It seems so simple, like just take off my shoes and socks and stand there. Um, but almost the, the effect's almost immediate. Uh, I mean, yeah. for me, it's this sense of childhood nostalgia of the simpler times and, oh, wow, yeah, I used to, I used to always be barefoot and be walking around in the grass and stuff. What happened? Like now I only ever wear shoes and socks and blah, 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 you know? And, but it is very uh, helpful to have a grounding practice where at least once a week, you know, you take your shoes and socks off and just for 20 minutes, stay in the grass, read a book, take a call in the grass. I don't know, you know, like just something where you consciously, you know, put yourself up with the bare feet back onto the earth. Um, now, I'm curious as well, have you had any experience with things about like EMFs and Wi-Fi and these types of things affecting people's bodies and maybe pain or, or is that not necessarily what you're into? Yeah, it's hard for me to sort of um, figure out if that's the actual issue, right? It's mm -hmm. hard for me to test if that's the actual issue. But we know that technology, meaning like my computer, my laptop, my Wi-Fi, all of these things that are emitting EMF, um, biology does not like it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I know I have some plants over by my Wi-Fi router that are pretty pissed off um, mm -hmm. and they, they just do not like it. So it's we're in this weird um, phase where technology and biology do not like each other. Mm -hmm. And so I have not necessarily seen specifically tested um, results from people's bodies, but I know that biology and technology, they do not get along. So yeah. I'm waiting for someone a lot smarter than me than me to come around and figure out how technology and biology can live in a symbiotic relationship. 100%. I said that on, an, on a number of shows of mine, which is, you know, I have the vision of like an Elon Musk type who has a ton of resources and a ton of brain power who will come along and make 6G way healthier than four, five, three, all of them ever were. And yeah. it's faster and it's healthier, you know, yeah. like there's health benefits and you got the speed, you know? And yeah. I mean, I lived in Sedona for a long time and, and people were like, you know, what's up with these like vortexes, if you will. And yeah, I wanted to ask you about these, that. Though. These vortexes are, um, you know, different parts of the planet are, you know, the, the, just like I said, the earth is emitting negative ions, right? Different mm -hmm. parts of these, the planet are emitting EMFs and these are positive, healthy EMFs. 
just mm-hmm. as if I know there's a lot of these injury rehab clinics nowadays that have like PEMF therapy, pulsed electromagnetic um, frequency, I think it is, a PEMF mm-hmm. therapy. There's like the beamer. There's like all different types of PEMF, which is like healthy for your cells and healthy for your system, actually channeling certain EMFs into your system. There's healthy EMFs and there's non-healthy EMFs. And mm-hmm. places like Sedona has been measured that the earth at that at that place on the planet is actually giving off a, um, a condensed amount of positive EMFs for your system. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there awesome. is places on the planet where there's a, um, a condensed uh, uh, amount of EMFs that are uh, being given off by the planet that's very healthy for your system. And I can... I can attribute that the two years that I spent living there was some of the most healthy times in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to these energy vortexes, uh, what does it feel like there? Is it just a sense of quiet stillness or do you get tingles in your body or is it marked by a certain tree growing a certain way? You know, like for people who haven't been to Sedona and only hear the rumor of the energy vortexes, like what what have you experienced and what is, what is an energy vortex typically marked by? Yeah, I can, from myself and my experience with it, I'd say that most people aren't sensitive enough to pick up on the subtle energy of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's almost as if, like I was saying, the sort of condensed or um, uh, multiplied amount of electromagnetic frequency that's being given off there. Um, you can see the geometry of the nature there is very, um, it's very tightly woven, if you will, or <laughs> it's very, uh, spirally or it's very, it's very sp- spirally and it's very, um, uh, fuck, I'm trying to think of the word for it. Mm-hmm. It's very, uh, condensed, if you will, um, sure. And it's, it's palpable. And I, I would say that things are amplified there. Like mm-hmm. I have had, even my emotional states were amplified there. Like I've had some of the highest of highs there. A lot of mm-hmm. people say, and, and, and I've, um, you know, I lived there for quite some time and I got to meet some sort of like uh, Native American elders there that said that their, their culture, um, they believe Sedona was not a place that you would live for a long time. And I noticed mm-hmm. that it's so tr- it's so transitory there. People come and go, right? And there's some mm-hmm. people that live there for a long time. But uh, the energy is so intense there, it actually starts to amplify anything that you're experiencing. So if you're experiencing mm-hmm. some lows, it'll start to amplify those lows. Um, mm-hmm. If you're experiencing some highs, it'll start to amplify those highs as well. And And they said that they would go to Sedona for ceremony. And then they would come out because it's not a place that you want to live all the time in that sort of um, uh, supercharged place. Got it. Got it. That's very true. Um, That also rings a bell with like certain crystals, maybe where you can wear a certain crystal to amplify, uh, you know, a trait perhaps for a while. But then after you wear it for too long, you might have way too much of that trait. It's kind of interesting. It's kind of counterintuitive. You'd think like, I I have this Moldavite ring. um, And on the internet, there's widespread rumor about be careful with Moldavite because it supercharges you and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, whatever, you know, and 
I wore it for a few years. I still wear it from time to time, but yeah, I've I've heard some trippy things about Mobileye. It's so interesting because you know uh, different crystals and glass have the same sort of um, atomic structure, if you will. They're both silicone dioxide. The mm-hmm. difference of them is that a, a different type of crystal, the way in which um, the elements are laid out inside of it, the silicone dioxide, it's in a formation. Mm-hmm. Silicone dioxide, if it's glass, they, there is no, the, the, the elements are not in a formation. So therefore crystal, uh, the silicone dioxide is laid out in a formation. Therefore it holds information. Yeah. So different crystals hold different information based on the way in which the atomic structure is formatted in a right. formation. Um, exactly. So there's different sort of information within that crystal that is then producing um, the sort of EMF or giving off a certain frequency, if yeah. you will. The same thing happens with your aura or your electromagnetic field and, you know, it's different when it's there than when it's not. It, I, I understand a lot of people think this is woo-woo, but... When you just look at almost the science of it in this way, it doesn't feel so crazy, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's crystals in our phones, our computer. I mean, they hold they hold information, they hold memory the same way water does. Like mm-hmm. water, um, water holds memory. It holds mm-hmm. information, right? Because right. the water molecules are formatted, and this is why like spring water is so important, and and Spring water, depending on how old the aquifer can be, can it can be, you know, thousands of years old, and that thousand of year information was before we sort of launched nuclear bombs and had all this other kind of mm-hmm. shit in our atmosphere. <laughs> so you can totally. be replacing your physical body with thousand year old information uh, because mm-hmm. that water, those water molecules are, are held in a formation. That's yeah. a whole nother rabbit hole. But. <laughs> it is, yeah. Well, one thing that comes up with all that about water and crystals and anything, wood and trees, is in certain psychedelic states, you get this download that everything is consciousness. Like, immaterial things are consciousness, too. And Like, what I mean is a rock is a really condensed form of consciousness and it's not consciousness in the way that our sober mind thinks of it but you start to almost see consciousness as the fabric that is matter even and it's it's kind of this really strange epiphany that makes total sense at at the time but then when you come back down you're like wait so these rocks are thought you know what i mean it's kind of this really heady idea but when you do understand it and have that glimpse, a lot of people can't unglimpse it. A lot of people just from that point on understand that the fabric of all matter and the universe is consciousness. So what does that bring up for you? Have you ever had an experience? Like yeah, that? that brings up, I mean, I've definitely had that experience. I mean, you start to see, like, obviously, you start to see that we live in a duality, you know, of, of masculine, feminine, um, you know, night and day, hot and cold, all of those things. And when I think about matter, I, I break down, I'm, I'm very fascinated with etymology. Um, mm-hmm. And matter uh, means maternal. Um, it's, it's, it's the mother, right? Our, our mm-hmm. earth is, is matter. And it, so if you go to paternal, paternal is the pattern. It, it, it is the patterning force. So if you look at life itself on this planet, 
is we have matter and then we have the paternal, the pattern, which is the driving force, which is sort of the mass or the um, geometrical nature that things are spiraling out towards, if you will. Mm -hmm. So you have matter. And this is the same thing with the sort of the earth and father, son, if you will. You know, the sun is giving off plasma hydrogen. Mm -hmm. It's giving off rays of plasma hydrogen. It hits our earth, which is the earth has an ozone, right? It has the oxygen zone, sort of the womb, if you will. That plasma hydrogen that's given off from the sun hits our ozone. And so you have hydrogen, hits oxygen, and starts to create H2O, which starts to ride that ozone layer to the poles of our planet and condense there as solid H2O. And the more that you get towards the equator, the more alive the water becomes, the more liquid the water becomes. And mm -hmm. what's really trippy is if you think about like, you know, liquid or water specifically can be in three different states, right? It can be from 32 degrees to infinity that way. It mm -hmm. is a solid. Um, right. From 32 to 212, it is actually in a liquid form, which is a very small amount of temperature when we're looking at sort of right. space. And totally. from 212 to infinity that way, it's a gas. So we're in this little perfect place on our planet where yeah. we have liquid water. And the mm -hmm. only thing that, the only reason why things are alive in the sort of way that they are on this planet is because of liquid water. And it's because we're in this sort of perfect, perfect state to create liquid water right that's a whole nother rabbit hole too absolutely but, um, no i agree <laughs> and that that realization comes in a lot of psychedelic epiphanies that realization is the realization of god it is yeah. the realization of that we are in the perfect place at the perfect yeah. time one in a um, trillion chance one in a trillion chance exactly yeah, it is literally a miracle that we are alive and here. <laughs> you know, and like every day people are complaining. If we were, if we were like a couple inches this way, we would be, uh, we would be solid. If we were a couple yeah. inches that way, we would be a gas. And right. so it's just, and and that's the thing is that my whole message to people is that connecting to the natural world itself, and that first starts with connecting to your body. And that first starts with connecting to your breath, because when you are connecting to your breath, you are connecting to what state you are in and, mm -hmm. and what state your nervous system, your electrical or your meridian or whatever the fuck you want to call it, what state you are in. When you start to connect to the intelligence of the uh, 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 animating force that's breathing you, um, you start to connect to nature itself more and you start to want to take care of your body and you start to want to take care of your community. And, you, and, yeah. and at that point you want to start to take care of and honor almost like a, a religious experience, if you will, the, the planet itself. Yeah. And you start to attune to the intelligence of biology. Absolutely. 1000% super well said. So I want to invite you to, um, just kind of give us one last bit of understanding of how all of these things are tied together. Like, like what, what do psychedelics offer that then tune us in to wanting to treat our body as a temple and take care of it and do these exercises and watch the things that we, 
put into it um, to a much higher standard. What, what do you think is going on there? And that's kind of the crucible of just health and um, ancient wisdom as well, I think. Yeah. Sort of kind of just what I, what, what I just said, but, but I believe that psychedelics specifically are, um, you know, entheogens, if you will. Mm-hmm. And those are nutrients that we actually need that help us connect to the nature of ourselves and nature itself. And I think that since we've sort of um, made psychedelics illegal, uh, we have started to bastardize the planet and we have lost connection to our, our the nature of our own bodies and nature itself. You know, I mean, there's, there's so many studies of different cultures that would utilize this sacrament, different, different sacraments, and they grow all over the fucking planet, you know? Um, right, right. And those would be used with intention to help us to connect to our own nature and the nature of life itself and the planet and to see the quality of energy that we have to ourselves and the quality of energy that we have towards the planet. So that is the quality of energy, meaning our relationship, because Mm -hmm. we are here to develop a relationship. We are communal beings, meaning we are here to commune. We are here to connect. We're here to connect to each other. We're here to connect to the planet. Um, We are here to relate. And so psychedelics, I think that all plants, all uh, a plant or animal medicine, whatever it is, all of these different things, they have an agenda within your system. Mm -hmm. And they're here to take you on a ride. And a lot of them, their agenda is very specific in what Mm -hmm. they're here to show you and what they're here to kind of help you to connect to. Um, I think that those are very powerful. I don't know if they're for, I don't know if they're for everyone, but I, they they might be, (laughs) I don't know. Um, but what I can say is that breath work and doing these, these practices without those sort of substances, there is no other agenda besides your breath. Mm -hmm. There is no other agenda besides your own inspiration, your own respiration, and even if we look at those words, to become inspired is to take in the spire or to take in the spiral or to take in the spirit. To mm-hmm. respire or to respirate, every time you respire, you respirit. You breathe mm-hmm. your spirit back into your body. And a lot of us are uh, fragmented with different traumas. We can say these defense systems are uh, forms of dissociation. You know, I... Um, I talked with some uh, Shipibo shamans at uh, Soltara Center who view trauma as sustos. They call it sustos. And what that means is that um, a part of your soul has left, has fragmented. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the work that they do is to call all of those fragmented pieces back into your body. And the number one way that they view and they see who has more sustos is by someone's breathing. And so every time you respire, you are breathing your soul back into your body so you can Mm -hmm. show up here how you want to in your soul's mission for this lifetime. And that's what I think that we need the most right now is to not sort of ascend and go to far out places, but we need to respire and we need to respirit to become inspired 
here right now as an embodied being, a person that's living inside of this somatic vessel um, so that we can show up because we're needed now more than ever. 10,000%, man. Thank you so much. That was so well said. Amazing podcast. Um, where can everyone connect with you and your business and uh, learn more about what you do? Yeah, so um, you can reach out to me on Instagram. That's probably uh, where I'm mostly active. Uh, it's at Jaggers, J-R, J-A-G-G-E-R-S-J-R. Um, you can check out Somatic Release Breathwork um, at somaticreleasebreathwork.com. I run practitioner trainings for all different sorts of coaches, um, therapists, psychologists, doctors, chiropractors, uh, you know, uh, psychedelic facilitators, all different types of people. Um, so yeah, we have practitioner trainings going on there. I'm holding sessions online and I'll be in Austin and I'm in Phoenix and I'm all over the place. Also, um, I have a podcast as well. It's called mind body mentor. Uh, which I will, uh, I've kind of taken a break the past couple months, but I'm going to soon start going back on that. And I would love to have you on as well soon, brother. Yes, please. That'd be great. Thank you so much for being here with me today. And I hope you guys enjoyed the show and got something out of it. Give Steven Jaggers a follow. Much love and we'll see you next time. Yeah, thank you so much, brother.